has been amazing already this morning, amen? I feel very encouraged. I feel like we've already heard a few sermons, so I'll keep this quick. Um, we have already been nourished by the scriptures. But this is the first Sunday of a new year, amen? Can you feel the fresh air of change and new beginnings in the room? Yeah? Timing is important. God is a God who works within our time. I just read through Genesis, and I love the story of creation, where it's so precise of what God did on each day. And then when this was completed, he rested. And uh, starting a new year is significant. When God started a new day, he chose another part of creation to create and form. And starting a new year, it matters. Beginning of January matters. There is a new blank canvas ahead of us. Amen? It's exciting. And so we are choosing. What's that? Come on. Amen. We've got a Pentecostal front row. Um, we, are, we are adorning this year with this word, people. The vision for us this year is people. It's all about people. Matter of fact, when I say it's all about, you say people. It's all about. People. This year is all about. People. We're choosing to say that for the next 365 days and every millisecond of every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day that is compressed into that time. For us as a body, for us as a people, we are choosing to mark our calendars with the overarching theme and vision of people. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, all of the prophets, all of the law can be summarized with this. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we're spending the next year in diverse ways because you know that Every Sunday, someone gets up here and brings something in a different way, in a different style, but we're choosing in all of the diversity in which this theme is carried and expressed through the different projects and initiatives that start this year. I think that's going to happen this year. I think there's going to be new projects and ministries and initiatives that come as a result of this vision. But in all of it, in all the different ways it's communicated, we are saying that the thing that matters most to us above everything is the people that we become and the manner in which we can love and express the kingdom to the people around us. So when you get asked this year in whatever context, what's it all about? It's all about people. We're blinkered, amen, we're totally blinkered. It's all about people. We're not getting distracted in any other way. Our main focus is who we are becoming and the manner in which that impacts and informs and shapes the people around us. Are you ready to get obsessed this year with people? absolutely, undeniably obsessed with people. Jesus was in the people business. Jesus was obsessed with fulfilling the prophetic manifesto that he put above his ministry from the book of Isaiah. I have come to set the captives free. I have come to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus is obsessed with people, and so will we be this year. Amen? We've got this amazing scripture, Dan, uh, Dan really felt from the Lord that this is the scripture that we were going to underpin everything this year. It's from 2 Peter 3, verse 11. And um, actually, just before you throw that up, Robin, before I read out this scripture, I think it's important to lay a little bit of contextual foundation for where it comes from and the manner in which we should receive it. So I'm going to do like a whistle-stop tour through the book of 2 Peter with you. Is that all right? Are you ready to engage? Uh, because this verse has a lot of um, references about the book. In fact, one of the lines says, with this being said, or with this in mind, this is how we'll live our lives and the people that we'll become. So it's very important that we recognize 
Well, with what being said? With what in mind? What's the context? So let me dive into this real quick. Just before I do, Father, I thank you that your, your word doesn't come back void. Whether we're sat here this morning full of vision and full of faith and excited, or whether we're sat here tired, disappointed, a little bit numbed down, Lord, I thank you that your word does not come back void. And the best thing that's going to be read this morning or said this morning is the scriptures, your Holy Spirit moving through ink on pages in Jesus' name. So... Um, this is a very, very beautiful book. It's a short book, 2 Peter. You could read it probably in 15, 20 minutes, cover to cover. It is the last book, the last thing that the Apostle Peter ever wrote. He wrote it before his death. He died in Rome under the hands of Nero. And it's believed that he wrote it within the last couple years of his death, maybe even shorter. I mean, he could have written this within weeks of his death. He alludes to the fact that he knows his death is approaching in the first chapter. He references, I know that I'm not in this body for much longer. He knows it's coming. And so he is distilling to the church in Asia Minor. He's not writing to a specific church. He's writing to the churches in which his ministry has had an impact. He's writing this manifesto of a letter to charge the church with how they should be and grow. It's very similar to two other books in the New Testament. It's very similar to the book of Jude, stylistically, and it's very similar to the second letter to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. The reason being, when, when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, it was his final letter. It's the last thing these juggernauts of the faith have to say. Peter died in his 60s, somewhere around 62 and 68. And if you know, the tradition in, in Christian history is that he was crucified like Jesus, but upside down. A horrific death, but a life lived so intensely focused upon the teachers of his rabbi and his master, Jesus. And he's put it all packed into this book. It's three chapters. The first chapter is Peter writing to the church saying, this is what it looks like to be a follower of the way. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to read one verse from each chapter just to put it in a bit of context. He says this, for every reason, in chapter one, for every reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. He starts laying out a foundation for what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Then in the second chapter, he cocks the gun back. It takes aim at the heretical teaching that is dumbing down the church. He goes at the false teachers. And there was a lot of them at the time that he wrote this letter. There were people impacting the churches that were gathering with a, with a gospel that wasn't the gospel preacher, teacher Peter was teaching. He comes at the false teachers and starts dismantling the way that they were impacting the church. Uh, Second Peter verse 2 says, And many will follow their sensuality and become of them. The way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, the false teachers, they will exploit you with false words. He starts dismantling what these teachers are bringing. And let me tell you this, the main heresy that the teachers were bringing to the churches he was writing to was, you keep saying that Christ is returning. I haven't seen anything for a long time. So why are you living your lives according to a way that is preparing you for a return that doesn't look like it's coming? So throw off that, that discipline. Throw off that godliness. Throw off what Peter charged them to do in the first chapter and live however you want to live. 
because he's not coming back anytime soon, right? So in the third chapter of the book of 2 Peter, Peter goes into, no, 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 he's coming back. No apology for it. He's coming back. And this is where we find ourselves with this scripture that Dan has brought, feeling like it is the vision for the year. And I quite agree, it's very stirring in 2 Peter 3.11. I'm going to read it from verse 8. Are you ready? Let's do this, all right. But do not overlook this fact, beloved. The Lord, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. God doesn't wish that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Woo! It's powerful, isn't it? No apologies from the mouth of Peter. There is so much. I'm not going to try and get into everything he says this morning. I don't have enough time, and thankfully we have a year. Um, but everyone I know over these next 52 weeks is going to bring a different angle on what it means to have people as our priority and become people of God. So all I want to do in the next few minutes is, every time a preacher says that, I'm like, few minutes? Just be honest, bro. You're talking about tens of minutes. Uh, but in this short little while that we have together, um, I want to pull out three key points um, that this scripture enlightens me with in terms of what sort of people ought we to be in all of the context that I've read you, in all that we've heard, in knowing that there's a way and a manner in which we should live to reveal Christ in our life, knowing that there is traditions and ideas that are set in place to dumb us down and numb us from living alive and awake to his purposes and with the conviction that whatever you think, whether you're pre-tribulation, pro-tribulation, amillennial, pre-millennial, he's coming back. Whatever your eschatology is, he's coming back. Do we all agree? When you start reading over church history and you look at the fathers and mothers of the faith that have so formed our Christian kind of doctrine and value, and you think about getting them in a room together, there is not a lot of things they agree on. <laughs> but they agree that Christ paid for our sins and that through him we have eternal life. And he's coming back. So I want to look at three points that I think sort of pull together some of what Peter's saying about who we should be. The first one is this. It's three Ps because I want to make Dan proud. Uh, it's three Ps. The first one is this. As a people, what sort of people ought you to be? The first P is this, patient. That's why here in the first part of this text, I'm going to read from uh, just verse 8, 1 again. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. And of course, Peter is writing to the church about his coming back, his return. They keep telling you that he's slow, that he's not coming. No, that's not true. And that is true for us today. 
from a sort of meta-narrative of the gospel and, and, and the story that God is painting uh, in creation, that he is returning, but it's also true on the kind of micro-promises that we have in our life, all right? He is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, perish but that all should reach repentance. Patience. It says in the book of John, the letter of John, he says this. He says, beloved, God is love. God is love. And if you have not known love, you have not known God. And then in the poetic manifesto for what love is, the apostle Paul writes in Corinthians, love is patient. God is patient. That is a defining attribute of who God is. The apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5, the fruit of living in the spirit of God is patience. And Peter says here to the church in Asia Minor, he's saying, be patient. You are redefining by your standards when he should have returned, and it's causing you to become lukewarm, disillusioned, and distracted from the manner in which you should be living. Be patient. You're getting irritated. I'm not a patient person, personally. Maybe you are. I struggle to be patient. Have you ever seen those videos where, where, where they put like a kid in a room with a bowl of sweets and just watch how long it would take for them to take a bite of them? I'm the kid that goes face first within a few seconds. I just have this desire to do it now, have it now. I don't want to wait. So it's a challenge to think that the kind of people that Jesus is returning to meet are those who are patient because they've waited, not compromised or diluted down who he is to them just because things aren't happening in their time. All right? The biggest, <laughs> the biggest practice of patience I've ever experienced was when I was a young child. My family lived in northern Pakistan. We were missionaries out there. And we lived in this little rural town called Gilgit. In the 60s, well, it was actually earlier than that, but in the 60s and 70s, the Pakistani and Chinese governments completed a road that ran through Gilgit to China and all the way down through Pakistan. It's called the KKH. KKH, right? We lived in this northern town in, in Pakistan, and whenever we wanted to get south, we had to get on the KKH and drive. And that road is about 1,000 kilometers long. It went on and on and on. And anytime we wanted to get to a, a big city, Islamabad, Lahore, we'd get in the car and we'd drive. And I have so many memories of my sisters and I sitting in the back of this little banged up car as we drove on the KKH. Now, I want to show you a picture of the KKH to put it into some context. Robin, can you throw up one of these? That's the KKH. That, that road is revered by some people as the eighth wonder of the world because of the manner in which it looks, but also because of how it, how it, what it took to create that road. A thousand people died in the creation of that road. And in Gilgit, where I, where I grew up, there was the Chinese cemetery for the Chinese workers taking care of their side of the road that were buried there, all right? Do you want to throw the next picture up? Yeah, man. That's the... It, Wells Way feels a little easier now, doesn't it? Uh, so we would, we would pile in this car and drive for hours. And can you guess the first question that came out of my mouth within a few minutes of being on this road? Are we there yet? And there was no iPads or iPhones to be scrolling in the back. All there was was Don Francisco. 
Keith Green. Yes. And then, and then the Beatles and everything else my dad loved. So that's why I fell in love with music, actually. Hours, nine hours at a time on this road. Are we nearly there yet? And just so you know how safe we were, do you want to just throw the picture of the car that we were in? There you go. There she is. My mom would lovingly call this car the biscuit tin because she said it felt like a biscuit tin on wheels. You felt everything, everything, every little rock. But anyway, we'd be in the back of the car. Are we nearly there yet? And I was thinking about this when I was just reflecting on patience and being people that are patient, thinking about my sort of five, six-year-old self sat in the back of that little, little um, van as we went on this journey on this road, asking my dad over and over. And he, he would do this thing where he'd like lean his hand back around and just pinch our knee of like, that's enough. <laughs> you stop talking now. Because he knew the width and the breadth of the journey and he knew what he was traversing as he drove across that road, all right? And I started thinking about this. Just go with me on this thought. Impatience is often the result of a perspective that isn't persevering. Impatience is often the result of a perspective that isn't persevering. What I mean by it is when I was sat in the back of the car, I had no understanding of the length of the journey. I couldn't comprehend by looking at a map or looking at Google Maps on my phone how long we were going for. I had to basically just sit and trust that my dad, one, knew where he was going and would get us there on time or in the right kind of capacity. The perspective that my dad had was very different to the perspective that I had at the time. And I think it's very true with the manner in which we relate to God and his purposes in our life. We're ultimately not in the front seat. We're sat in the back. And it's easy for our lives to be consumed with questions like, are we nearly there yet? When is it going to happen? Are you really going to come through for us? And so one manner in which I believe that we're to go into this year in terms of carrying patience is to be people that can trust, and I mean ruthlessly trust, that where he's taken us is good and that when we'll arrive, it will be the right time. Our lives are often marked by success, success points that we perceive are on their way or that we hope as a result of our work and our labor will come to fruition. Amen? Do you agree with that? Whatever that is, I'm not sure it doesn't have to be work. It could be personal stuff. And there's this desire that of, of, I just want to get there and see this and accomplish this. God is far more concerned with our personal sanctification than we are concerned with our personal measures of success. And when Peter wrote this church, to, to, this letter to the churches, he was really bringing a message of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of us becoming more and more Christ-like. Just some 101 doctrine. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Justification is the sovereign act of God cleansing, healing, purifying humanity. And it happens through us having faith in him saying that it's true. Romans says that faith comes by hearing, right? Jesus says in John 15, Peter, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken. My friends, you are beginning 2020 guiltless, pure, holy, and righteous. That's how you're beginning this year. There was nothing that you can do to make that more so. It's happened because he said it and you agreed by faith. Yes, I believe that to be true. Corinthians tells us, Paul writes in Corinthians, he that knew no sin became embodied, became sin so that we could become his righteousness. That's happened. That is justification. Amen, are you with me? But check this out. The writer in Hebrew says this. 
Right in Hebrew says, for a single offering, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. By one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What that means is this, it's done, it's finished, he said it. How do you know that to be true? How can you bear witness to the fact? By your ongoing sanctification. The reason this is so important is if you get it mixed up, you say this, I will do everything that I can to prove to myself I'm worthy of being justified. The gospel says this, you are justified. The life that you live and the sanctification that it reveals will be the evidence of what's already happened rather than what happens at the end of your spiritual boot camp. That's the way the gospel works. It's that way around. So when Peter says, be patient, according to his time, it's not slowness. It says actually he's being patient with you. Think about it like this. All the things that you want to see come to fruition in your life, even if it's the meta-narrative of Jesus coming back, and you think you're being patient with God, it's the other way around. He's being patient with you because you're not going to get something that is a fast track to the sanctification in your life that he is destined and un, unquivering in his desire to bring you. The parts of your life, speaking from, from my perspective and my journey, the parts of your life where you feel most impatient with God, it is the areas he's probably being most patient with you. God, why haven't you brought this yet? Why hasn't this happened? Why haven't we got here? Why haven't you come back? Because I'm being patient with you, son. And you're not there yet. But when it's time and when you are, you'll walk into it and you'll receive it. How do we know this from a meta-narrative? Jesus is coming back for a bride that's ready. He's getting us ready. It hasn't happened yet because we're not ready yet. Could it be that he's more focused on sanctification than you even are on your success? I have goals and so does God. And unfortunately for me, the impatient and often achievement-focused person, his goal is my Christ-likeness. Amen? All right. Yeah, I just, I just wrote down in my notes, uh, wine, not milk. God's promises don't expire and start to stink. They get better and better. They become vintage. You know, the scripture is just filled with stories of people waiting and waiting. Even Lazarus had to wait. People waited and waited. Abraham waited. Moses waited. Joseph waited, 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 waited. Why? Because the stories that God's writing are getting better and better with time. Anybody read Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, start to finish? Yes. Anybody read the Chronicles of Narnia, start to finish? Yeah. Your life's longer. <laughs> this isn't a short story. This is the chronicles of your life that God is writing right now. And his focus and his intentionality is on who you are becoming, the person, the people that we are becoming. All right, I'm going to keep going. The second one is this. I'll be real quick with this. But it's people that are purposeful. People that are purposeful. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done will be exposed. Peter is making the point to the church. The, the, the language is graphic. The language is, the imagery is, is powerful and strong and discomforting in a sense. But he's saying this, this will pass away. 
Like this isn't it. God is going to do it again. He's doing a new thing. And we're not going to be like ghosts in the sky playing harps. It's going to be real. It's going to be tangible. But it's going to be new. So don't build your life like this is it. Build your life like you're preparing to live forever. This will, this will dissolve. It will. He's just a good artist and he's going to do it again. And it's going to be even better because it's never going to end. Amen. That's where he's going. And Peter's saying this, there will come a day that what you've done here will be exposed. I looked at the Greek and the Aramaic word for that word, works. And guess what it means? Works. It means deeds. It means that which we do now matters. But the reason justification and sanctification is so important is nothing that you do is going to justify you beyond what the Lord has already spoken over your life and done in your life. But because of what he said, what you do now matters. Jesus said in Matthew 25, it will be like a man going away and commissioning his servants with the property that he has, going away for a while and coming back to take review of what he did. Now, the only, you know this story, the parable of talents, but the one point I want to make is he gives to one five, uh, one two, and one one shares of his property. The first thing I want to say, just going into this year, is that we don't have equal proportions of responsibility and vocation in our life. And one of the things that stops us from being purposeful people is comparison, putting ourselves in context to the people in the lane next to us. That will rob you of purpose this year. The parable of the talent shows us that Jesus, the master who's given and then gone and is coming back, has given to everyone something different. What is in your hand is enough to make your life drenched with purpose. That might be something that feels insignificant to someone else. Or you might have something on your plate that you feel is too much, a burden too big to carry. Why couldn't I have got an easier amount? Because you can carry this, my friend. That word in Matthew 25, the point is this. Don't bury it. Don't bury it. That's the only thing. Don't bury it. Don't bury what's in your hand. Don't count it as worthless and don't count it as too much. What he's given you is right. And if you can steward the garden that is your life, your life will be fruitful. The point is this. Jesus comes back and says to, to the ones that didn't bury it, he says, well done, good end. Good and faithful servant. Now enter the joy of your master. Joy, we declared that we'd be joyful people. Joy is the result of faithfulness. You're faithful in what you've done and you receive the joy of God because if you're steadfast in faithfulness, you're actually saying what I do isn't valued by its accomplishment or its fruit, but by the internal faithfulness within my soul that it produces. And out of that place, joy overflows. Joy overflows. Jesus is coming back to see people that have been faithful, not fruitful. How do I know? He says in the gospel, he says, you'll come to me on that day and you will say, look at all the things I've done. And he will say, be gone from me. I never even knew you. What you do is eclipsed by who you are and your faithfulness to whatever God has given you. Receive it today, my friends. Whether it's the, the raising of a child whether it's the running of a business, whether it's the stewarding of a marriage, whatever it is, own it. Own it. Because he's coming back and the works of this life will be exposed and they won't be exposed to reveal like a productivity chart. 
They will be exposed to reveal an intimate heart. Freestyle that just then. Productivity chart, intimate heart. That's what he's coming back from. He's coming back to receive our intimacy, amen? Purposeful people. Last point. Are you guys still with me? Um, the last one is this. I, thank you, Robin. You've been like, didn't, I didn't even give Robin these slides. He's just doing it. Patient people, purposeful people. And the final one is, oh, this is going to mess up your, uh, the way that you're doing it. But people that participate. <laughs> Participating people. I love my Pentecostal front row. Amen. Since all these things, verse 11, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? Read chapter one if you want to hear more detail on that. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. Just so you know, the, the, when Peter talks about heaven, he's not talking about like the kingdom of God. He's talking about the sky. Heaven, heavens and earth, that was the way of communicating. You know, just so you know, he's not talking about God dissolving heaven. This, script, this part of Scripture is so, so important. It's what we're really kind of pinning the whole year on. Verse 11, what kind of people are we going to be? And, and the, the scholarship on this, I love the context it puts in. It says, P is saying, when Jesus comes back, who will he find us to have been all those years leading up to that moment? And whether or not you receive the day in your life of the clouds parting and Jesus coming back to earth, you're going to die. <laughs> we all are going to die. We're all going to dissolve. We're all going to have the moment where we see the Lord face to face. That is going to happen. This verse is in context to what is the life that you're going to have lived when you meet Jesus. Ever do that thing when you were a kid where your parents were like away for a little bit and they told you to tidy your room or clean, keep the house clean? What we talk about when I was a kid, this has happened since I've been married. <laughs> and then the day that Kevin returns, the house gets really clean. You know, that's not how we're to live. That's not how we're to live. Peter's saying, what kind of people will you be have found to have been when no one is watching? before Christ returned, because who you are when no one's watching is who you really are. Who you are when no one's watching is who you really are. And so that's the context of what Peter's saying here. And so what's amazing is he says, he goes, um, will you be people in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? What he's saying is so powerful. Is he's saying the lives that you live have a direct impact on the spiritual realm and the spiritual order of things. The word hastening is a Greek word. I'm gonna try and say this word. Um, spudontas, spudontas, right? The crazy thing about this scripture, this word, is it both, it's used in two contexts. One in the context of quickening, Will you live lives that quicken? But it also is used in the scripture in the context of desiring. So it's really interesting. Peter's saying, will you live lives that quicken and hasten the coming of the Lord? But the Greek word is also used throughout the New Testament in the context of desiring something. So as I read that, as I study it, what I see is Peter saying, will you live lives that participate in a much bigger story than the life that, of your own? in the way in which you desire God? Like, will you realize that your life 
is making up a much bigger story than your days in the sense that the way that you live has, a has an impact on the meta-narrative of this story. Are you with me? He's literally saying that to the church. Don't get distracted. Don't get disillusioned because the way that you live quickens the day of the Lord's return. That's a little bit. Does that blow your mind a little bit? Your life matters to the point that heaven is leaning in, like waiting for that, like tag in. Is it time? Is it time? Is it time? And the angels are holding everyone back. We're waiting. We're waiting. For what? For the manner in which we desire for the manner in which we seek after the kingdom, for the manner in which we go after God. We're at the beginning of the year. Can you just mark this year as a year of growing in more intimacy with the Lord? Will you do that? Because it will speed things up for all of us. <laughs> Could you mark the year as this year? By the end of it, I'm going to be more like Christ because I'm going to be spending so much time with him. I heard a theologian say this. When people, when people brush past you, when they hear you speak, they should feel a sense of homesickness for a land they haven't known. Because we're just passing through, right? We know where our home is. And so when we spend time with our home, when we spend time with the Father, we embody the land that is coming, the kingdom that is here and the kingdom that is to come. And Peter also says something in this last passage, which I just think is so important. He says at the end, he goes, but according to his promises, this is what's going to happen. So, this year marks the end of us making conclusions about our life and the future according to our problems. Where's my Pentecostal front row? <laughs> this year marks a change where we live lives according to his promises, not according to our problems. We look into a year that says, well, according to his promises, this is, what's on the, this is what's happening. According to his promises, this is where I'm going. According to his promises, this is who I'm becoming. Because I'm done living according to my problems, I'm gonna be just like my mom. I'm gonna be just like, according to my promises, I'm gonna be in debt for the rest of my life. According to my problems, you can't get healed from that. That is real, that's deep and it's very difficult. And for me, saying that I'm going to live in a place that isn't according to my problems is putting myself in the way of sanctification because it's causing me not to live in the way of the flesh that is, that is numbed to the hopefulness that is what Christ carries. Are you with me? According to his promises, we are going to become people that live in such a way that we hasten, quicken the day of the Lord. Jesus said this, I have come that you would live life and live it in abundance. I have come that you would live lives of parisos, the life that exceeds what you anticipate and go on, goes beyond what you expect. That's the kind of life. I, there is one who has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Stop giving God the credit for what the devil's trying to do. God isn't stealing from you. The thief, he called him a thief because he steals. He's come to give us lives of abundance. So according to his promises, not according to my problems, this is what this year is going to shape up to be. Amen? All right, I'm going to finish with one quote from one of the great fathers of our faith, Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was asked, if you knew, you guys can just begin playing now if you want, because I feel like we're going to end this and just go into a time of rejoicing. Charles Wesley was asked, if you knew that Christ was returning tomorrow, how would you live out that day? And he said this, 
I would wake up at four in the morning. I would pray. I'd make a bowl of porridge. I'd climb on my horse and live out the same day that I've lived out the last 10 years. I'm ready. How would you live if you know the day was tomorrow? Exactly like I lived yesterday. You know when people say, oh, I'd go into the street and just start shouting out the gospel. Really? Because if you haven't lived that the last few days, I don't know if it's going to make you live it the next day. Why don't you live out a life that you know is worthy of the King of Kings coming back on the clouds? I'm saying that as a massive challenge to myself, but are you guys up for the challenge as well this year? Amen. Let's stand. What are you going to go with? What are you going to go with? Yeah, Father, at the dawning of this new day, at the beginning of this new e uh, year, Lord. I, I was about to say the beginning of this new era, so let's just go with that. The beginning of this new era, this new chapter in our lives, Lord. Lord, we take a moment to acknowledge that you are writing a story with our lives. You are the great author and chronicler of our days. And Lord, as a people and as a church, we just commit this year to you. We commit this year to you, Lord. And we say that as we walk into this year, we will be obsessed with people. People are our priority, Father. We are in the people business this year. We are about our Father's business. We want to be those shaped and molded into Christ-like people here on earth. And Lord, we want to love and honor and serve those people around us that you've given us to impact with your kingdom. Amen. Lord, we commit that to you at the beginning of this year. And Lord, like the apostles wrote in their final letters, would you come quickly? Would you come? Come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we, we don't say those words with, with an emptiness to them, Lord. We, we recognize that as we say such phrases, Lord, in doing so, we charge ourselves to live lives of sanctification and lives of devotion and lives of obedience and lives of discipline, hastening your return in Jesus' name. And God, we say between here and now. We won't simply be waiting for heaven. We'll be bringing heaven to earth, Lord. I just declare over all of you the words that Jesus said when he taught us to pray. As it is in heaven, may it be in your lives, in Jesus' name. As it is in heaven, may it be in your house, in Jesus' name. As it is in heaven, may it be in your heart, in Jesus' name. May it be in your body, in the name of Jesus.